welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into Twin Peaks Season 2, Episode 8. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is the middle of my potentially three best episode (laughs) arc. (laughs) Your trilogy arc that you love the most. I don't know if I love it the most. I just feel like this time watching it through, I've been like... These are just three really solid episodes where Mm -hmm. so much stuff happens that is crazy. (laughs) It is. And I guess I go right into my first impression about this episode. It did feel a little bit like, and this is not like a a bad thing, but it felt a little bit different in like the tone and the style of it than the last episode. Uh huh. But it flowed really well. I didn't feel like we like jumped to something different, but just like the whole like, you know, the golf course and the road yeah. that the car that Lilo was driving and the road <laughs> he's driving on. I'm like, are we in California? <laughs> it feels it feels like, you know, less small towny and more like sub I guess you could say like more like commercial suburban to me. But like in a good mm. way. I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just had like a really different tone that kind of was like really cool to explore. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like driving in the mountains where sometimes you'll turn a curve and there's like random golf course right there. And it's like, it still feels like it's a little nowhere, but suddenly it's really not the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's like we had stayed in Sapphire and there's like a big golf course there. And it's so weird because you're like driving through like, you know, Silva and Whittier, all these like kind of really rural like cabins everywhere and then you get to like this golf course and it's like condos and like these <laughs> golf course kind of houses and you're like what where am I it doesn't yeah. really matter <laughs> yeah well Twin Peaks is a little bit bigger than it appears at first glance <laughs> yeah which I, I really liked this tone because it felt almost I don't know it just felt like richer and like, I, I don't know, like, I didn't know what to expect from this episode. So it just, I don't know, captured my attention right from the start. And I was like, oh, something's <laughs> different. I like it. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that much stuff doesn't really happen in this episode. No, I was just thinking back on what happens. It just feels like it has some very memorable moments. And because yeah. it kind of connects the, what happened in the last episode, you know, and now that the audience is the one in on who the killer is, but the people right. in the town still don't know, it's like a very exciting place as an audience member to be. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, we get our fair share of comedy stuff and I, <laughs> I really love Lucy's sister, Gwen. <laughs> I, that I feel like that was such a perfect thing to be like, they're exactly the same person and they almost <laughs> look exactly the same and, I really loved it. There was so much, like, there was so much funny stuff mixed in with all the craziness of yes. this episode. Yeah. So I really loved it. <laughs> I feel like when we get to the next episode, even though I don't know that we'll have time because we have a special guest, so we might not have time to do a lot of, like, speculating of what's to come, but mm-hmm. at least whenever we do the next check-in, we'll have to try to remember what dangling plot threads are still in the air that we're going to come back to when we... Right do some more season two. <laughs> yes, I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm like, we're like maybe a third of the way through and I'm like, <laughs> how is there so much more? I know. Like we've already been revealed and there's just, but I like, there's so much more that I want to know. I'm like, well, thank <laughs> God we have like two thirds of the season left. I know. I keep thinking, cause I'm, 
I've been kind of tossing around some ideas of what we'll do next. And I'm like, but mm -hmm. should we just keep doing Twin Peaks? Because <laughs> there's still <laughs> a lot to get through, but we'll think about that. I don't want to yeah, think about it too much because we've only got two more episodes to record. And then we have our personal break. Although for you guys, we're coming to the end of our personal break. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, you'll, you'll see a fresh current as very soon. <laughs> yes, we'll probably have, be like, I can't remember how to podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> be like, I don't know if I recommended this two months ago, but hopefully. Sometimes I feel like if we take two weeks off, I'm like, I can't remember how we do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know my name is, my, my name, my memory is terrible. So usually it's <laughs> podcast to podcast. I'm like, all right, got to recall everything. Hopefully I get it right. <laughs> yeah. And because we only have two left, I'm already kind of like in summer vacation brain mode. So <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I just got to down for the files. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll go. It'll be fine. I'm sure, even though we're like just daydreaming about the pool and summer and I know by the time sometimes. you hear this, summer is winding down probably. Although it's probably yes. still very hot. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say as long as the earth hasn't burst into flames, because it's already been a million degrees and it's <laughs> just June when yes. over here. Uh, oh, and before we start, if you are also listening to our Jane Austen coverage of persuasion then you probably heard me talk about my baby birds that made a nest right. in the atrium. And I thought I might, you know, fill you guys in. They had their babies, four little, I think they were wrens, not sparrows. And they <laughs> all fledged or whatever, went into the ground. And I had these four little brown poof balls bopping around my atrium for like three Aww. or four days. And the mom and dad would come back and feed them. And then the last day I could see that they had made it all the way to the top of the plants that are in there. And I was like, they're about to go. And then never saw them again, but I did hear them peeping away in the bushes. <laughs> Yay. That's so awesome. That was so cool. Cause I think I had come over when, after they had maybe been hatched for like maybe a day and they were uh -huh. just like, you know, Mouse. balls, <laughs> I was say just balls of bird skin and open beaks, <laughs> like yes. waiting for food. They were still so cute though. So that's so fun. That's so yeah. cool. Like what is, what are the chances that a bird would be like, this is the perfect place to have babies. <laughs> I mean, it really was. <laughs> I was reading up on them and they were saying that normally, you know, they don't, at least a few of them don't survive their birthing oh, wow. or fledgling. But considering mm -hmm. all four of them made it out of the atrium, I mean, it seems like a pretty safe place for them. <laughs> yes. If any wrens are listening, atriums are the place to lay eggs. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if they come back. <laughs> I hope they do. That'd be so cool. It'd be like a really interesting, like, annual thing. Is Yeah. There'll probably be new plants wrens. in there by then. <laughs> I used Probably to have that. some that made a nest in my garage every year at my old house. Ooh, that's so cool. It's <laughs> as cool though, because you can watch it and I found dead baby birds in there. It was <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Yeah, there are, in the neighborhood we live in, it is notorious for having stray cats. And it's not like oh. crazy, but it's just like, oh, those are the Murray Hill cats. <laughs> and we will just occasionally find a lizard or this morning we found a cicada on our steps. So I guess they're leaving us gifts, but. <laughs> oh my God, my sister keeps chickens and they had something kill a bunch of their chickens the other morning. I saw that. 
I was on the phone with her today and she, one of her chickens says, hey, hey. And she goes, oh, hey, hey, that's disgusting. And because hey, hey, is her like her crazy chick warrior chicken who's been around since their first batch and <laughs> oh, God. She, she's really aggressive but she's walking by with a mouse hanging out of her mouth <laughs> what she's like better than a cat she catches their, their <laughs> that's so crazy i never thought that chickens would eat other animals but i guess that would make sense I, apparently chickens will eat anything i mean they they <laughs> look just like dinosaurs with feathers on them it's so that's weird. true <laughs> birds are mysterious and scary and i don't like them <laughs> they're dirty <laughs> i like birds but i wouldn't trust them with a baby <laughs> or anything <laughs> no <laughs> i just I feel like, like they have their own agenda and they're not interested in mine <laughs> yeah a prehistoric agenda <laughs> i don't like them but i do like that they are around. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked that these those ones at your house were through uh, through glass and in, in an enclosed space where I couldn't be around them. So <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> it was the perfect setup for someone who's been socialized in modern society. <laughs> All right. Well, should we go ahead and get into the notes? Sure. Right, so notes for season two, episode eight. We have a new director, Caleb Deschanel. Yes, he is the father of Emily and Zoe Deschanel. Right. Yep, and also the husband of uh, the woman who plays Eileen Hayward. What's her name? I don't think it's her name isn't Deschanel, I don't think, but... Oh, that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me to remember anyone's name. Oh, ever, Mary please. Jo. I think it is Mary Jo Dishnell. Oh, it is Dishnell. Okay. <laughs> That's her, though. <laughs> yeah. The first Dishnell I ever knew was Emily Dishnell because I was a big Bones fan. <laughs> oh, I remember seeing her like on when they would do like ads for Bones during the day. But the first one that I knew was Zoe Dishnell because when I was in high school, 500 Days of Summer, that movie she did with Joseph Gordon-Levitt was like the the teen, you know, every, all the people were like, oh, it's so romantic. And, <laughs> you know, all in their teen angst were super into it. And right. of course I had to play along. I mean, technically, I guess Caleb Deschanel and Mary Jo Deschanel were the first I knew, but I didn't know who they were at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, technically I would have run across him first because, and this is not a movie for children, I would think should see, but my dad was really, for some reason, into the Passion of the Christ. Um, right. <laughs> and he would watch it often. And it's a very <laughs> graphic movie, but he was a cinematographer for that movie. So, oh. and for The Lion King. So, hmm. the Anyways. new one, the live action one, or the cartoon? You see, I can't really tell because IMDb shows the picture for the old one, but it has 2019. So, I think it was for the new one. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't, do they have cinematographers for animated work? I guess not. I mean, technically. <laughs> it's like we're going <laughs> on a lot of This wasn't necessarily real, but. <laughs> but yeah, he was the director. And the writer of this episode was Scott Frost, brother of Mark Frost. Right. I think I did read that. I feel like Caleb Deschanel do, does a lot of Twin Peaks. I don't know if he did any in the first season, but I think he 
He did. I think so. We had a couple new cast members. James Booth as Ernie Niles. Ah, yes. Yes. New storyline, <laughs> potentially. Yes. <laughs> and I will say ahead of time, I did get a bad feeling when he showed up and I was right. Sort of. <laughs> and then we have Kathleen, oh... Will Hoyte, I think is her name. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. As Gwen Morton, uh, Lucy's sister, who I love. <laughs> She's definitely been in something else that I am I know her from. That's what I thought. But then I looked at her page and I personally don't recognize her. She's m- probably most known for playing Carrie in Roadhouse. So maybe that's what it is. But I don't know. I didn't look it up. <laughs> I can't possibly open a device at this point. <laughs> she was also in the OA, if that makes a difference. Yes, that does make a difference. <laughs> but I feel like I know her something before the OA, but... <laughs> Probably. Um, and then we have Jane Greer as Vivian Smith-Niles, who is Norma's oh, yeah, mom. Yeah. yeah. And then we have Emily Fincher as Louise Dombrowski. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I read a little story. I might have that in my deep dive because she's David Fincher's sister, I believe, and she just happen to be oh. around when they needed somebody to play this part. <laughs> <laughs> so many people in this attached to this episode specifically with famous families. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think that's it for our new ones. We did have uh, David Patrick Kelly as Jerry Horn back. Yes. Finally. Oh, and then this episode first premiered on November 17th, 1990. Sorry, I forgot to say that. So it's nearing their Christmas break, which is, I think, pretty much around when we're going to break, which is pretty convenient. Yeah. Then some facts, some like little trivia things about the this episode. The song Leland is singing when he's driving is Sorry you with the Fringe on Top. Me. <laughs> <laughs> From Oklahoma. I was in that show. <laughs> I feel like anyone who's remotely associated with musical theater would know that that's Oklahoma. <laughs> But then the, the little like trivia note I found said he seems to really like Rodgers and Hammerstein because I think it's like his second or third Rodgers and Hammerstein mm. song. Well, he likes the standards. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then Scott Frost, who wrote this episode, who's the brother of Mark Frost, also wrote the novel My Life, My Tapes, the autobiography of Special Agent Dale Cooper. Right. I don't know that I ever read that. I do have a tape that... I thought was that, but it is really Uh just, it seems to me to just be from the show, like clips from the show, whenever he was talking to the tape recorder. It didn't seem like it was anything new. Oh, okay. I guess it's not what I, it's probably not what Scott Frost wrote. It's just the one weird one that I got. The the tapes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll have to read that, I'm sure, someday. And then I have the log lady intro if you would like me to read it. Yes. Food is interesting. For instance, why do we need to eat? Why are we never satisfied with just the right amount of food to maintain good health and proper energy? We always seem to want more and more. When eating too much, the proper balance is disturbed and ill health follows. Of course, eating too little food throws the balance off in the opposite direction and there is the ill health coming at us again. Balance is the key. Balance is the key to many things. Do we understand balance? The word balance has seven letters. Seven is difficult to balance, but not impossible. We are able to define. There are, of course, the pros and cons of division. I mean, I assume that's kind of talking about 
a split personality thing Leland has going on. But I do mm -hmm. think it's funny that seven was so important because when David Lynch started doing his pick numbers, uh -huh. we covered the beginning of that and there was like a whole thing where nobody was sober picking a seven and one person was like, I, I need a seven. And then it, it was a seven. It was a big celebration. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, that's what I thought. And then maybe like the reference of like, why do we never like eat just to maintain like just balance and maybe it could be in reference to bob and how he's a very greedy like being yeah. and is like just consuming these people's lives and but it was a very combative logly line for me to read because i love food but i hate math so <laughs> it was references to both and i was like okay i love it and i hate it <laughs> We did have a lot of food stuff this episode. Norma cutting some pie and them eating at the Great Northern. And oh yeah, 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 so. yeah. <sighs> she always. I'm hungry right now. <laughs> I am starving. I didn't buy any snacks <laughs> at the grocery store, and I have regretted it every day since. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and start the recap. <laughs> yes. We can get to dinner at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this episode is called Drive with a Dead Girl. Ooh. Definitely one of the most evocative moments. Yeah, they're <laughs> usually just saying- interesting moments. Yeah, they're usually just saying like what happens and this one seems to be more like, let's, uh, let's take the spirit of the episode. Yeah. Okay, so we start off with the Palmer House at night. There's ominous music playing, the lights are on. Kind of looks like the windows are open, but I don't think they are. I thought the same thing because it looked like the windows because like the, <laughs> I don't know what you call that type of like design, but when it's like that, the cross on the windows, yeah. I was like, usually it's on the bottom, not on the top right. only. So I wonder, because you could hear Maddie screaming like very faintly. I'm like, I wonder if they had to get that shot and they were like, we we'll have to open the windows because you can't really hear. Maybe I, when I thought they were open, I was like, I mean, I thought the Maddie scream was maybe just like a ghost of what had happened mm -hmm. the night before. But I also thought maybe Leland, it seems conceivable he would go around opening all the windows. But then when it showed it during the dawn, I was like, I think that's just the way the windows look. Because... Uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. But, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Not <tangents. a> <laughs> <laughs> okay. So as the dawn breaks, we see like the pictures of Laura on the mantle and we hear Leland hitting golf balls around the room. <laughs> uh, well, at first you don't know what it is, but you kind of figured out Donna and James come over to say goodbye to Maddie. Mm. And Leland's like, too bad you just missed her. <laughs> he says he just dropped her off at the train station or bus station 20 minutes ago. And he tells them that Maddie was disappointed that they didn't come over last night. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, just that a little extra twist to the knife. Yeah, I was wondering, though, like, because I'm sure Bob knows that they're snooping. Like, would Bob have maybe wanted to kill them, too, because... I mean, They're... it kind of looks like he's ready to kill pretty much everyone he comes in contact with in this scene. So, <laughs> yes. I mean, this episode. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, oh God. Yeah, uh, Sarah calls down, still in a robe. Leland, I guess, goes to talk to her or whatever. And then James and Donna kind of laugh at how many golf balls fill the room. Uh, during the scene, I also thought like, I wonder if he was just hitting golf balls around to make it look like that's why things were overturned and like the lamp was falling over. Like, or yeah, maybe they just assumed. I, I assume that it was part of like a cover up, but also I was reading, I think it was an interview with the director and I maybe have it mm-hmm. in the deep dive, but he was saying that seeing all the golf balls, it's kind of humorous to like look at, but then you think about it and that's like a very destructive act to do to your uh-huh. living room, your living space. And so like, it's very off kilter. And yeah, I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. I just hadn't ever really thought of it that way, even though it is, I'm sure I was thinking and I didn't write it down, but I'm sure I was thinking that is so like, you're going to break everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He was hitting them hard too. (laughs) (laughs) No, they weren't all on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's why all the windows were open. (laughs) (laughs) Hit him out the window. Yeah, so Leland's like putting on this fake smile when he comes back and he suggests that they write to Maddie. My typo, or not typo, but my writing, it changed it from Leland to Leland. Because <laughs> there's a space between Leland. <laughs> I think you're French. I thought it was pretty funny. Okay, so when they leave, Leland looks in the mirror and sees Bob looking back. Ugh. Of course. <laughs> Of course. Sarah reminds Aileen to sign them up for Glenn Miller night at the club. <laughs> Eek. And then Leland unzips his golf bag and we see that he's shoved a dead Maddie inside of it. And he puts it in the trunk and lowers the top of the convertible. Ugh, that was jarring. Yeah. <laughs> Very. Ooh. So uh, Ben is not doing great in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry comes to see him. He looks terrible. Uh, <laughs> Jerry is handling the case since Leland has also been charged with murder recently. <laughs> and Jerry does not seem too competent, however. <laughs> no. Yeah. Ben says he was with Catherine the night Laura died, but there's no sign of her. And then Jerry notices the bunk beds. And he reminds Ben of when they were kids and watched their babysitter dance. And we see it in a flashback. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very memorable scene. I feel like a lot of people remember that scene and think about it a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's also on the season two soundtrack. I believe that there's like a song called like Horn Brothers Hook Rug Dance or something. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever music is playing during that. Anyway, (laughs) I always think of it as being at a different point in the story, but just another memorable piece to this episode. Yeah, it was very memorable. (laughs) Then we see Lucy and her sister Gwen come in with a baby to the police station. (laughs) Gwen is very awkward around Hawk. (laughs) Very awkward. (laughs) But he is very nice and generous with her. It's like some of my best friends are white. (laughs) (laughs) She must hate the white people for what they did to you. I was like, yeah. (laughs) I was like, at least she's on the, she's not, you know, on the wrong side. Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then Cooper and Harry walk through the Great Northern. 
Cooper is talking to Diane about the one-armed man when they round the corner and see Leland dancing with his golf club. The bellboy is not amused. <laughs> I'm just trying to do my job. <laughs> he has this, like, struggle to get around him. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Harry tells Leland about Ben's arrest, and Leland plays his part masterfully. Mm. After he turns the corner, we see him go from crying to laughing. And Cooper getting his spidey senses go off and he comes up behind him and asks Leland to share anything that he might know. I wrote, Leland is crazy, exclamation point. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like, he's such a good choice to be like this nefarious killer because he just has like his facial expressions and the way he is like his making his body react. It's just so like creepy and he's oh, so I was good. like yeah he's yeah. really good in this and I, I was thinking this whole during his little dance sequence I was like I wonder if he's ever done like Broadway or something because he's a pretty good dancer it seems like yeah I wouldn't be surprised and he's I a don't think of singer. him as one of the Broadway actors from Twin Peaks although there are plenty in Twin Peaks but right. he, he may be I'll have to look it up well Cooper is definitely suspicious of him and the last shot is of him dancing Across yeah. the opening of the hallway was silly. <laughs> Back at the police station, Doc Hayward is taking a blood sample from Ben Horn. <laughs> Cooper points out that Jerry finished last in his law class <laughs> and his license has been revoked in several states. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, of course. Cooper asks Ben about the diary. He says Laura knew about One-Eyed Jacks, but she never got the chance to tell the world. And Cooper is using his best interrogator techniques. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of this was when they put the diary on the table and they ask him, like, what is this? <laughs> and then Jerry leans into his ear and says, say book. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> we know that you finished last now. <laughs> uh, Yes. Although he does, I mean, Cooper does rattle Ben. Yeah. Jerry wants a moment alone. And he says that Ben's blood may have Laura's fingerprints on it. <laughs> and <laughs> then he himself suggests that Ben maybe should get himself a better lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know he was a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Which it's like one of those things that he probably did just so that when they make deals, he could be like, I'm a lawyer. Right. <laughs> Okay, so Bobby, meanwhile, is listening to the tape he found in Leo's shoe. It is Ben Horn hiring Leo to burn down the mill. He, Bobby, records part of the tape, and now he wants to go talk to Mr. Horn. Uh, Shelly comes in covered in food, and Bobby tells her he's planning on a better career, and he doesn't really tell her what he found, though. Like, he doesn't tell her about the shoe tape or that he no. yeah it's just like she, a sealed envelope <laughs> yeah well first off that they throw onto the disgusting yeah. table that's covered in <laughs> food and there's food on the envelope and i'm like you're gonna just send that <laughs> it's gross <laughs> but i did like and i know it's why we love shelly because she's like a good person but i was during this whole scene because she's getting so excited i'm like I feel so bad because she's so naive and she's like, he's uh, 
is saying how he wants to do this entrepreneurial thing and he's thinking executive suite and she's just you know like laughing and is very happy about that and I'm like Shelly I know because I I was thinking the whole time like Bobby get your crap together I mean it's like yes. I'm just gonna go blackmail Benjamin Horn for money and you're not doing this for Shelly and I mean no <laughs> Uh, I guess she's that's the one who happens. needs it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what happens when you date when you date a uh, teenage drug dealer. So <laughs> yeah. when you let them make your life decisions for you, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. So at the double R, Norma is serving Toad meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, I did out loud exclaim Toad when I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> Her mother comes in. And samples his mashed potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) He did not seem happy about that. (laughs) No. (laughs) He loves the double R man. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that meatloaf looked really good. I was like, oh, I'm kind of craving meatloaf now. (laughs) So do the potatoes. Yeah. Uh, So Norval wants to know why her mother's there. She says she's introducing her new husband, Ernie. They're honeymooning. She does like the diner improvements and compliments Norma's figure. Which made me go, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, this is not a mom I would like to have. Ugh, such a other time type of a thing. <laughs> I know, I'm like, bleh. So Norma doesn't seem too thrilled that she's there. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see why. <laughs> Norma is such the strong, silent type. <laughs> she's always yeah. got some expression of wariness on her face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I feel like... Norma is like maybe when she was younger was maybe more like Shelly and maybe maybe like a little more naive and she's been kind of hardened by Hank and all this like annoying shit. She's so nice all the time but she's and she lets all these like people who aren't great into her life but she just always has this skeptical expression that I love. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 you can tell when she doesn't like someone <laughs> yeah okay but uh, she does tell her that she's worried about the food credit coming she's short on staff because Shelly just quit and uh I mean Vivian and Ernie seem nice enough after they leave Norma finds evidence though of Ernie gambling Ernie <laughs> <sighs> I, um, That's when you were I like, say? I knew it was bad. <laughs> yes, I, I did. Because just the way that he was dressed, I was like, this seems like an untrustworthy person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just with that giant collar sticking out. But also, <laughs> when they said that they were honeymooning, I like said to myself, in Twin Peaks, of all places, what an interesting <laughs> choice. <laughs> well, I guess she does have family there. Yeah, I guess. Maybe she grew up there. <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's some sort of nostalgic element of it. Yeah. Well, obviously, he must be from somewhere around there. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> okay. So, oh, the one-armed man is in bed at the Great Northern, and he wakes up and says, he is close. And then yep. he knocks out his guard and jumps out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Did he look different to you a little bit? Really? To me, like, he looked just, like, more, I don't know, like, more, like, svelte and, like, done up a little bit. Like, his hair looked like it had, like, product in it. And (laughs) wearing this, like, turtleneck that made him look more, like, 
athletic, I guess. I don't know. It just, I looked at him and I was like, something seems a little different. <laughs> and clearly he made a- pep in his step. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he made a clear jump out that window, so. Yeah, <laughs> well, which is a big thunder. Guess the storms are starting again. <laughs> coming this way. Okay. I also was like, you didn't really need to knock that guard out. You could have just jumped out the window to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seemed a little bit like extra. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Hank comes into the double R. Norma is pissed. He was gone for 48 hours. He tries to explain. And at first she's giving him the cold shoulder, which I appreciated, but she forgives yes. him pretty easily. Yeah, I'm over it. I think <laughs> Yeah, Hank is no good. I really don't like him because he's the most fakery. Like his, mm-hmm. he's just his persona is so fake. So yeah, Vivian. I mean, I think he's a good actor. I just the character. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the character. It's like, and he's even like I would say even tier three villain where it's like. <laughs> he's not even like smart enough to be like oh well i can see like you know oh i can see like how they're like a good character or like you know they're they're doing something to the story it's like he doesn't do anything at all right Right. you just do things for other people and you're just an idiot he's like a a medium henchman a mid-grade exactly So Vivian is helping out when Hank arrives and she asks Hank and Norma to join her for dinner tonight. Free dinner at the Great Northern. Northern. I'll take it. He's back at the police station. Pete comes in. At the time, Harry is watching a woodpecker, pileated. (laughs) (laughs) And then Pete tells Harry that Josie is gone, that she left a note and Pete is sad because he loved her. No offense, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a weird confession to make to the person that she was also in love with. <laughs> I but know, it's but yeah, of course. <laughs> no one could ever take offense to Pete. <laughs> no, he's the sweetest. They were both told different stories about Jonathan, aka mm. Mr. Lee, hmm. and they both have a bad feeling. But just then, Cooper comes in with news of Gerard. And then Andy comes into the station, sees Lucy with a baby in her arms, and faints dead away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Andy. Sweet Andy. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Pete has actually come to the station so that he can sneak down to the cells. He has a great time laughing at Ben. And... (laughs) He has a message for him on a tape deck. It's from Catherine. Tapes are becoming so important right now. I guess they've always been important in Twin Peaks because they found that tape in the coconut. (laughs) Yeah, and technically Cooper is recording tapes for Diane. Oh, that's, oh my God, Maya. Yeah, tapes are very important. (laughs) (laughs) I might have to cut it off just because it proves how stupid I can be sometimes. (laughs) No, it's it's our summer break brain. It's already taking over. I know, I have a summer brain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did think though that was like kind of like a great ingenious way to kind of deliver your message and I was like thinking to myself that Catherine was probably like record me and then after you play it take the tape out and destroy it by stepping on yes. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like she's like a spy. Throw it in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay so Pete is just like giggling up a storm with this tape 
but he plays it for him. Catherine is on the tape. She knows that she is his alibi. She says she will testify him if he signs the mill back to her. <laughs> I put, I love Pete's chortling. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. He kisses the tape deck and then Ben throws a fit and he starts throwing pillows around until his cell is covered with feathers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, and then we have one of the most unnerving scenes. Mm. Leland is driving around, swerving and Surrey, <laughs> sorry, singing <laughs> about Surrey's with fringes on top. <laughs> right. <laughs> but singing about scurries. So. <laughs> I can't talk right or type right. Cooper and Harry almost run into him and pull him over. And Leland says his mind was wandering because of Ben. <laughs> and then he says he remembered something. The night Laura died, Ben made a phone call about a dairy. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess he meant to say diary, which I'm wondering, does Leland know about the diary? Probably, yeah, just because... A good guess. <laughs> Because I, I feel like there were instances where Laura was writing in the diary. Well, and He knows she was, that she kept a diary, but did, does he know that Harold had it and that they found it? I guess so. Yeah, probably. I guess if you, you know, if you buy into that theory that when Harold would step outside, Bob would see him or, you know, it seems like I would venture to oh, say yeah, that, that Bob, because he's this kind of like non-human sort of entity that he probably has wide-reaching sites throughout Twin Peaks. That's true. I wasn't sure because I thought maybe maybe the dairy was just like a psychic guess or something. <laughs> it could also be that. It could be that. Or just a coincidence. Yeah. But maybe he probably just knew that would make the most sense. <laughs> yeah. Which Cooper was like, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Leland offers to show Cooper his new clubs. I mean, brazen. He opens the trunk, but Cooper is called away. They found Philip Gerard, and he actually looks like he's about to kill him with the club. I'm like, what what were you going to do, Leland? You can't just bash in (laughs) Cooper's brain right here in front of the club and Harry and his, he's got a gun. (laughs) I was about to say, (laughs) you're not going to get too far. But I think it's just that he's just constantly menacing and, you know, ready to jump at whatever chance he needs to jump at yeah i did think after seeing that scene like i wonder if bob is like one of those because he clearly likes to sow like chaos into like communities but i wonder if it's like maybe because he's already had two victims maybe he's like i've done i i don't need necessarily need to stick around i can leave if i want so why not just cause more craziness yeah well i guess You can count Jacoby as another victim, but also Teresa Banks, the girl who was killed before the show even started. Right. Yeah, and I guess Ronette, she's not dead, but she's (laughs) definitely terrorized. That's true. Yeah, um, last thing from that scene is Leland seeing Bob in the mirror again, in his rearview mirror. And then we have a waterfall transition. (laughs) (laughs) Hawk brings Gerard into the station. Gwen... (laughs) Gwen is commiserating with Andy for fainting. She's like, I used to faint all the time when I first got pregnant. And she thinks men only think about sperm. (laughs) She's very, (laughs) 
She's very nosy and can't stop talking until Andy and, and Lucy both tell her to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and then Andy tells Lucy that his sperm got better and he's the father. And then Lucy groans. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, not my baby. <sighs> no, we're getting, okay, we're almost to the end. Okay, so Mike is circling Ben, or Philip Gerard, when he's in Mike mode circling Ben at the station and he says that Bob is not here now and mm. Jerry is questioning this technique <laughs> <laughs> then he demands that they charge Ben or let him go and of course Harry charges him <laughs> Ugh, Harry what are you doing well I mean he I mean it may- he, I mean he does he definitely deserves to get charged with a lot of things um, <laughs> but I, the way it kind of like went down, I felt like it was very much like that, that sense of- Like reactionary. Uh, yeah, like almost trying to like prove that he's like, well, I'm in charge, like, you know, like a me- like a quote unquote measuring contest, if you will. Right, right, right. <laughs> he, just, he just looked so like pissed and was like, well, you're charged now. And it's like, well, yeah. maybe well, let's not react like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can understand. Yeah. Better to have him in the jail, honestly, at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So, and they do have evidence. So in the hall, Cooper admits to Harry that he doesn't think it was Ben. And Harry says that he's had enough of the mumbo jumbo. (laughs) And Cooper apologizes. I do feel bad for Harry because like, you know, you're looking for this, you're, you're making friends with Cooper. He's your new buddy, but it's been a lot of craziness. And, but now you have hard evidence and, you got to do what your gut says. Even yeah, though it I could probably won't last for very long. <laughs> right. I could totally see that. But then I also thought like, oh, you, like you call it mumbo jumbo, but every sense of like mysticalness that has happened so far that Cooper's talked about has come true. So it's, it's true. like, it's true. Can you really call it mumbo jumbo? It's true, but it's like been a Not, week. I, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I could see, you know, the other side of it too. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're back at the Great Northern. Vivian is analyzing the food. Hank and Ernie know each other from prison. We find out when the girls go to the mm-hmm. bathroom. <laughs> and Hank's bolo tie is a domino, of course. I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I thought to myself that I was like, that is like the, you know, the worst, like, I don't know. I just, I hated that he just stuck a little domino up there. And I was like, of course Hank would do this. The gross domino that he's been putting in his mouth the whole time. It could have been a specially domino made bolo tie. Maybe it wasn't the same domino, but he just has a theme that he likes. Maybe. Maybe he's really Maybe into whatever. is it Gambit? Who's one of the like one some superhero is a domino. Um he's he uses uh, cards. Oh. Well, maybe there's one named Domino. I don't know. <laughs> there probably is. There's yeah, I think there is, but I don't know. I just didn't know. I, I just know I didn't like that tie and I hate him so much. And of course, I was like, of course he would get a mug of, a giant mug of beer, probably gross Bud Light, and yeah. be the only person to get food that you eat with your hands that's really messy. <laughs> yes, he doesn't seem to have a very refined palate. No, unlike the mom who I have a theory about. Oh, which is probably not theory. a very like it's probably not a very smart theory because she kind of gives it away but <laughs> <laughs> i i feel like she's the critic isn't she well 
We'll see. I don't want to <laughs> give it away, but I she think had, you're on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> she has very particular comments about how the food is cooked and how it tastes. And yes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So Ernie does tell Hank that he met Vivian at a Republican fundraiser. <laughs> <And, laughs> I was like, bleh. He's trying to be on the straight and narrow. And he says he wants a clean slate, which I guess is why you're betting on horses earlier. <laughs> yeah, with money that's not yours. Yeah, Hank finds this very interesting. <laughs> and then he toasts the newlyweds when they come back. And Norma, again, with her suspicious looks, she's like, this whole table, this whole thing is suspicious. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you seem too relaxed to meet brand new people. Yeah. So um, at the end of the night, Cooper's getting ready for bed with a glass of milk and a slice of cherry pie. <laughs> he's talking to Diane as usual. He's still bandaged up. He says he's close, but the final steps are the most difficult. Then Audrey knocks on his door and comes in to talk. Yay. She wants to know if her father is guilty. She says she only ever wanted him to love her, but he's ashamed of her. And she does try to assure Cooper that at One-Eyed Jacks, she never, ever, and he says he knows, and then the phone rings. And then he tells Audrey to go to her room and lock the door, no questions. Oof. (laughs) Scary. I know. Then we have a water, another waterfall transition. And we see Harry and Cooper walking quickly through the woods, and they come to the river where they pull another girl wrapped in plastic out of the water and it's Maddie Ferguson credits. No! Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. (laughs) I was thinking like, number one, where is he getting all this plastic? And number two, are people not noticing that at the hardware store, large amounts of plastic are being bought? (laughs) I don't understand. I assume because he is such a crafty serial killer (laughs) that he probably has like a serial killer kit, you know? He's probably got some plastic that he's acquired from over the time. Stocked up on Lil. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like Leland can get away with a lot of crazy shit nobody questions, so. (laughs) Yeah, that was a very frustrating <laughs> thing this episode. Him swerving in the street and then them being like, you crazy guy, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, they were um, they were distracted by yeah, more pressing true. matters. Yeah, that's true. But still. If Philip hadn't felt the need to jump out his window for no reason. <laughs> exactly. They could have found Maddie right there and put a stop to it. <sighs> God. Cheryl Lee wrapped in plastic again. I know. I did think that was like Oh, she's gonna play a dead girl twice. <laughs> I know. You have sex. <sighs> All right. Well, what was your favorite part? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think because there's a lot of good parts of this episode. I think I'll go ahead since she was kind of like my new favorite character. I'll go with when Lucy and her sister Gwen walk in and kind of get that <laughs> whole introduction. And it's like yeah. they're kind of talking back and forth to each other in like the same voice in the same way and it's just so funny to me yeah <laughs> that's they are definitely one of the highlights i really like it when pete comes and plays the tape for ben yes. and it's just cracking up the whole time and 
I mean, just Leland in general was my favorite part of this episode just because Ray Wise is so good, which is kind of like because these three episodes really showcase him the most. And I always think of him as being like this huge part of the series, even though I would say up till now, even though he is an important part, I wouldn't have thought of him as a huge part. Right. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like he really shines in this episode where he's really oh, just yeah. like being Bob and feeling his Bobist of selves. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, laughing and crying. And Ray Wise just is hit, uh, hitting a hole in one. If you want to go yes. for a golf metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> he's really great. I, yeah. And all the, the singing and the dancing is like really fun. And I yeah. still, every time they have those mirror shots of Bob and the mirror, I always am like, oh, gross. I know. I know. I was watching it earlier in the pool because, like I said, already on vacation mode. <laughs> <laughs> and I could not see those parts very good when I was rewatching oh. it today because there's just too much glare. You can't watch Twin Peaks in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to sacrifice something for the luxury you of need it. darkness to watch Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> you really do. <laughs> Deep dive? Yes, please. Okay. Oh, this will be an interesting one. So, for Drive with a Dead Girl from the Twin Peaks Unwrapped book, the logline is Ben and Jerry Horn flashback to Louise Dombrowski dancing on the hook drug with a flashlight and Leland takes his death bag for a ride. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess they thought that was a pretty memorable scene. (laughs) It, it, It kind of like comes out of nowhere. But it's like such a. It's like, know, like so. Really... Yeah, it's not something that you know. Like it's not in the vocabulary of Twin Peaks, the show. We don't do right random dreamy flashbacks. <laughs> right, and it just yeah, it really sticks with you. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, the, what I was saying earlier, it was Caleb Deschanel who was comparing the golf balls. Oh, he was comparing the golf balls in the living room to The Shining when Shelley Duvall finds his writing and you find Mm -hmm. out like, you know, this is what you've been writing the whole time. And he's like, golf balls in the living room isn't goofy as James and Donna think. It's actually very destructive and dangerous, so. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Yeah. And then uh, you already said Emily Fincher was the sister of David Fincher and happened to be there when they casted her film. Cast it or filmed it. (laughs) I'm not sure whether she was there when they cast it or when they filmed it or whatever, but she was there at the right time. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like being the related to David Fincher, you're probably within those circles of being in the right place. Yeah. Okay. So we're doing the deep dive on Maddie Ferguson. Oh. And before we start, because there are some really, really interesting things that whatever the astrologer who made the birthdays was doing something interesting with Maddie and Laura. But I will say the episode that just came out before we're recording this was episode four, I think, where we did Lucy. Uh And I had said that she, her birthday was on the cusp of Gemini and Taurus, but 
it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I think I just had the wrong number in my head when I went to look it up. And so just thought wrong. But one of our listeners pointed it out to me. I don't know if it's Ellie or Eli Redman on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that was just my bad. I was, <laughs> she's definitely more in the Gemini. She's not that close to Taurus, but I still feel like Taurus is more, I think that's what we sorted her as. And I feel yeah, like that she might, she has Taurus in her chart somewhere. Seems more like her. Okay. But the, okay. So Maddie, I was looking her up and her birthday on her card is June 22nd, 1968. And I thought, is it, that Boris birthday? I could have sworn her birthday was on the 22nd because it's also a cancer. Maddie is a cancer. Uh-huh. So I looked it up. Laura is actually July 22nd and uh-huh. she is also a cancer. And normally Zodiac, they're not usually like the 22nd to the 22nd. You know, it's uh-huh. not usually that exact. So I thought that was kind of weird. So I put both of their birthdays into my actual astrology software mm-hmm. <laughs> just to see, because I feel like the astrologer must have had something specific in mind to have them be like, Maddie is literally the first day of cancer and Laura is like the last second of cancer. (laughs) Wow. That's crazy. But they're both listed as cancer, you know, so I feel like they're not, their birth times aren't like some weird, you know, you know, Laura wasn't born at the end of the day and she's actually a beginning, beginning Leo. The astrologer wanted her to be the last second of cancer. So Hmm. anyway, I thought it was really interesting. I was looking up critical degrees, which are planets at zero degree in a natal chart, which is what Maddie is. She's the first degree of cancer. And that makes you take on like a pure undiluted nature of the sign. And cancers are like very loving and protective. You know, they're considered the Uh mothers of the Zodiac. They're ruled by the moon where planets at 29 degrees, which is what Laura would be, are on the anoretic or faded degree. And Mm -hmm. they are thought to be negative. And the individual is often confronted with some of the most challenging facets of that sign or what that sign means. So I just thought that was really interesting. So I didn't try to... Oh, no, I do have a couple of options, but I just found all of this stuff really interesting. Mm-hmm. Primary cancer strengths can be found in their kind, giving, and sympathetic natures. They're always ready to host and set a table, and they can be counted on to feed and care for friends, family, and any weary traveler that stays in their home. With strong, empathetic powers and talents for healing, cancer natives can sense what others need, often long before they have articulated it themselves. There's always something familiar about those born under the sign of the crab. And those with this sign rising, especially, give people the uncanny feeling they have met them before. This quality has roots in the archetype's connection to nurturing and building a home, often making people instantly feel at home with them. So, I mean, I do feel like it's correct. Yeah. For Maddie and for Laura. And I just really think it's really interesting Mm -hmm. that they are like, two sides of the same sign. That is really interesting. (laughs) Okay, because I looked it up on the chart, like with her actual birthday, I know that Marty, Marty, (laughs) (laughs) Maddie's moon Uh sign is either a Taurus or a Gemini, depending on what time of the day she was born. So I looked up her moon sign so we can sort her that way. 
Okay. So it's Taurus moon. I just have like a list of terms for both Taurus and Gemini moons. Taurus moon, meticulous, loyal, reliable, grounded, straightforward, moody, stubborn, and organized. Okay. Okay. For Gemini moon, we have fun-loving, social, funny, active, stimulated, fickle, moody, flighty, and restless. I feel like more Taurus, personally. Yeah. Just because I think of her as more, like, grounded and reliable. Yeah, I think her, yeah, Taurus seems more of her, of her, like, I don't know, her personality and, like, even, like, stubbornness. I could see her being, like, in a good way, stubborn about something, like, you know, yeah. them trying to figure out who killed Laura themselves rather than, like, letting the police do it. And Yeah. Would those two signs be the same thing for Laura's moon? Or would it be different? Oh, no, I actually, I said, just for fun, I looked up Laura's moon, too. Okay. And she is definitely a Sagittarius moon, according oh. to that date, which is loving, adventurous, exuberant, lively, inquisitive, anxious, flighty, scatterbrained, and forgetful. Well, that's very accurate. I could, I mean, if she's going to be a cancer son, she has to have fire somewhere in her chart. So yeah, a Sagittarius moon seems perfect for her. Oh, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I would say that I think that she's more of a, Maddie is more of a Taurus moon. They're both I moody, agree. by the way, Gemini and Taurus. Yes. <laughs> well, I was saying, I was asking if they're the same because honestly, when you're reading that Gemini list, I was like, oh, that kind of seems a little bit more like Laura. So it's like, yeah, it does. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, Taurus for Maddie seems way more on yeah. point. So that was one of my funnest sorting moments Yeah, <laughs> of this whole uh, thing, because I actually get to use my astrology software and like really do some real looking into it instead of just yeah. looking at your tango or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh <laughs> no, yeah, that was really cool though that they set that up to be like the two like yeah. edges of cancer. That's really cool. Because there are definitely times when I'm looking at the birth dates for uh, Twin Peaks and I think, I don't feel like the astrologer knew this character as well as I know this character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially since we've been going through sorting them. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what their intention was, but this one's yeah. like really crazy how it's like spot on. Yeah, this one I felt like a lot of work and it was very specific work as to when we're going to pick for the dates yeah. for the, these women. So, <laughs> and then for D&D, I just said neutral good. Yeah, I that's exactly what I was because say. they go with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that too. Yeah, neutral good is exactly what I had just because, yeah. you know, all that that's stuff with Dr. Point. Jacoby and, you know. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> good, old, good old Maddie. Yeah. Oh, Maddie, we're going to miss you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we miss all those Cheryl Lee girls. <laughs> I know, she's so great. Final thoughts. I don't know. I, I am excited for the next episode, um, especially because, you know, when we did episode seven, you had talked about how this the seven, eight, nine are kind of like this group of like really great, like poignant episodes. And this episode didn't disappoint. It was really good. And yeah. um, we got, we ended on something like big that we knew was coming, but still oh, it's going to like, love the next episode. I just never. Yeah, I'm, really <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm just really excited to see where they go now that they found Maddie's body mm -hmm. and I'm interested I guess you could say to see what sort of chaos Bob is going to continue to 
yeah. with the Twin Peaks community thorough. Um, <laughs> yeah. How long will just yeah. the audience know the truth? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm really interested and excited to see when Catherine comes back. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I just know, knowing her, that the entrance is going to be the most ridiculous, you know, <laughs> like, oh my God, moment ever. Oh my gosh. She, yes. I'm she excited. has a great moment in the next episode too. Yes. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. I just feel like, even though we're not reaching like a season conclusion next episode it just feels very much um on my box set it was always because it was just labeled one through 29 or Mm -hmm. however many episodes one through i think 29 Mm -hmm. i never really was sure where the end of the first season was and i always (laughs) just assumed it was at the end of episode nine or you know Uh that would be (laughs) i cannot do the math 16 (laughs) or 17 or something like that uh, uh-huh. Because I don't think the pilot actually counts as one of the number ones because it just oh. has to be as confusing as possible. But I knew that it was somewhere in the middle and it just seemed like the end of a season to me. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like eight or nine is they're probably like right before their Christmas break. So it probably is a good like stopping point. Yeah. And yeah, this episode is very disconcerting. I love Leland mm-hmm. in it. And yeah, I just, I'm very excited. We're going to yeah, have a special I'm, guest next episode, so. Right, right. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what Leland does next episode. Any more dances? Any more Rodgers and Hammerstein? Let's see. How crazy can he be? <laughs> <laughs> I hate to ask, but because I can see it getting worse. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So much happens in the next episode. So much. Oh, God. <sighs> so I can't wait to get to it. And I guess that's my final. <laughs> I really like this one though. I think yeah, the whole golf golfing theme throughout is so like yeah, ugh, yeah. <laughs> it was I would say it was really interesting that whole like kind of thing I was talking about earlier of like it seemed like when I say like richer like I meant like money wise. Um, because we do get a lot of like more upper crust aspects mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks. We get the golf course. We get oh, the dinner true. at the, the dinner at the Great Northern, and I don't know. It just like it was a, a really interesting new side of Twin Peaks to see. Yeah, and I do think we'll be able to see more of that in the future because yeah. we've dealt with a lot of the low town stuff. Right. <laughs> right. until now I would say although with Josie and Catherine and Ben we get a little of the upper crust yeah a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of rich people to me surprisingly yeah and they have a lot of power yeah all right well are we ready for recommendations yeah Okay. Do you have one or do you want me to go first? I mean, I have one, but you can go first if you'd like. Huh? Unless you're not ready. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I am ready this time. <laughs> <laughs> My recommendation is going to be a TV show. Okay. And it is a Netflix, I could say, food docuseries, like a limited series called High in the Hog, How African-American Cuisine Transformed America. Hmm. And it is hosted by Stephen Satterfield, who is kind of like a, 
like a jack of all like food trades. Like he's a chef, he's a sommelier, he's a food writer. He kind of just does everything and he's really talented. Um, but it is kind of like, kind of uh, sort of based on this book, High in the Hog that, let me say what, yeah, it's High in the Hog, A, Cur a Culinary Journey from Africa to America by Jessica B. Harris, who is kind of like a African food uh, historian. And it's kind of like, was like this, it, the way it was presented in the show, it's kind of like this pivotal book of looking at like food from these kind of Western African nations that were part of the Atlantic slave trade and how like, you know, different sort of like traditions and techniques and I guess even like dishes come, have come from those nations and have like directly influenced American food. That's fascinating. I always love to see how yeah. anything like culturally moves through and changes right. the new culture. I always find that fascinating. Yeah. And it's just, it was just really, it, it was really interesting to see. I feel like lately on a lot of like food programs, we're getting more of these truthful bits about how a lot of the world's cuisine is influenced by African cuisine. And like on Top Chef, we're getting a lot more deep looks into African food and different nations, specifically their dishes. And it's really just amazing to see like a lot of like vegetables that we use, like a lot of peppers that we use, like scotch bonnets and like yucca, like a lot of root, root vegetables came from these uh, African nations. And so yeah. it was really great to see that. And I think episode one, he starts in Benin, Africa, and you kind of like look at life there in Benin and all these different villages. And it's really, really cool to see and really interesting. And it's a really emotional episode, but it's really great. And I had a lot of fun watching it. And I really want to read that book now. <laughs> well, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, mine is on the lowbrow edge of the <laughs> Nothing's lowbrow. Well, I wouldn't say lowbrow. It's just more of the cheesy end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, I have been catching up on season two of Discovery of Witches. Uh -huh. And I, I read the books back in the day. And they were really fun to read. I found them very cheesy. And I said this to my friend who love the books and I think she thought I was saying that that was a bad thing but I I really appreciate some cheesiness <laughs> I, yeah, mean, I don't think yeah. you can be a Twin Peaks fan without appreciating some cheesiness <laughs> exactly <laughs> but I think it's really funny because the adaptation of the show it has its own form of cheesiness like the tv Ooh. version of the book version of the cheesiness so <laughs> I don't know it really works for me I think if you were a Sanditon fan, that you might really like it because I will say that the main character has a bit of a Cindy problem. The main <laughs> character. <laughs> but he's a vampire, oh, no. so I guess he has more excuses. But <laughs> <laughs> They're supposed to be evil, I guess. But it's fun. I mean, it's got a lot of good actors. Alex Kingston is in it, who I love. Oh, okay. And it's about, there's three classes of, creature as they call them witches mm -hmm. vampires and demons and ah. this season the second season they go back in time to like elizabethan times and there's all these characters from history and i remember oh. when i was reading the books i was like this is like a whole 
different book. It's like a whole different <laughs> concept for a book <laughs> than the first book. And it's really fun to see. There's lots of crazy costumes. I don't think the main girl is wearing makeup, <laughs> which I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I think it's really cool. I don't know that for sure, but she just, she, she looks like she would fit in in the 1500s, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> she looks like, like a, oh, I look beautiful. <laughs> right. She's not like, a, like has a cat eye and is in like Elizabethan yeah. times. <laughs> and I appreciate the main character because she is like, she kicks ass and she can, doesn't need any help getting out mm-hmm. of any, so she gets herself out of every situation she finds herself in. And even though, you know, the rest of the world is still very, oh, poor woman needs help. But she's like, no, I will take care of myself. <laughs> she's I like, really leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun show. I know you can, I'm watching it on Shudder because even though I can't bring myself to watch scary movies, I still <laughs> like, I'll watch the documentaries about scary movies. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should plan to when we record in person in the future, maybe we like watch a scary movie or something. Yeah. Sometimes I can do it like with the Joe Bob Briggs. Uh-huh. Because cause he cuts in halfway. like and Right. And he like kind of makes it like. To yeah. explains it and dispels a little bit of the scariness. It's kind of like watching it with someone else. I'm never scared yeah. if I watch it with someone else. I will not, it won't linger with me. It's uh-huh. just when I, you know, have to go to I'm bed old. after watching it. <laughs> I could totally get that. But yeah, I've heard you talk about the show when we've hung out in person. And I love shows that are like very like, I don't know if this is the right word, but they have like almost like like a category of this or like there are these, there are different, their classes or hierarchies of this. And yes. it's like, especially if it's got a fantasy element, I really love those. So I think I'm yeah. definitely going to look into it and add it to my yeah. rotation. I'm pretty sure the woman who wrote it was like a scholar. Ooh. I'm not totally sure, but because a lot of it deals with this book that I think is based on the Voynich manuscript, which I actually have a copy of, but it's like written in a really weird either a code or a language that nobody's ever been able to decipher. And Ew. it's really cool to look at. <laughs> it's really cool to look at. It looks to me like I would imagine like some midwife or somebody, you know, writing mm-hmm. down their secret recipes because it's got all these cool like drawings in it but who knows (laughs) that's interesting scholar is much greater than i (laughs) looked at it and not be able to tell so who am i to know but to me it looks like you know i could see a woman writing it and like you know medicinal stuff Mm -hmm. and not wanting to be you know burned as a witch so (laughs) (laughs) keeping it in some sort of code (laughs) oh god i think there's like botanical or it could just be somebody's crazy imaginings you know could have been could be that's uh yeah Mm. it's a mystery i love history's mysteries (laughs) as we know Okay, well, I guess that's it for today. If you would like to talk to us about any of the stuff we've been talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can email us at mannersmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website at mannersmadness.com. Yeah, send us in some stories of what you've been doing over the last two months. Any fun summer adventures because... We're about to do our check-in and we would love to read them off on our ticket, (laughs) which maybe, no, it won't be, it'll be like a month before our hundredth episode. What? 
You're I crazy. <laughs> well, no, we're almost two years open. and 100 episodes. I can't believe it. <laughs> wow. We'll have to crack open a bottle of champagne or something. We definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bottle of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's more of our speed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, did you already set our contacts up? Yeah, you did. Right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, but we've also had some listeners say if, if we would like their like thoughts on like persuasion, if you're reading along with the podcast, that they want us to send them in at the end or during. And, you know, when we come back, we'll be done with persuasion technically. So um, yeah. if you have any thoughts about if you read the book for the first time, like I did, like what were your thoughts on it? We'd love to if hear. If you that. were reading the book and watching Twin Peaks at the same time, how was that? <laughs> yeah. Did it make you make any connections to the show and the book in your brain? Uh, when we come back, we're definitely gonna be talking about all of that. I can't wait to yes. get into. <laughs> and also, love and friendship was a part of this section too. Don't forget. Oh yeah, so, uh, yeah. My lady Susan in there. <laughs> yes, yes, Lady Susan, who's the best. I know this has been a very long section without a check-in, but um, it'll be worth it'll it. be a big explosive check-in when we come back. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been all over the place this episode. Hopefully, I can keep it together when we have our guests. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll be great. Yeah, I wrote so many words for the recap of that one. I'm like, Maya, what are you doing? We have a guest. You don't need to write down every detail, but it's such a great episode. <laughs> yes, sometimes it's warranted. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I just can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we will see you guys. No, we will talk to you guys again next week with our final Twin Peaks episode of this section before the check-in and we tell you what's coming next can you even believe it can't even believe it we did two months worth of work in two months (laughs) we did four months worth of work in two months yes (laughs) Uh, but it'll feel good to me after our break to get back and oh yeah i can't i'm already excited to see what we're doing next (laughs) i know i know i know another another book series. Yeah, maybe. Yes. yes. But we're definitely oh. due for some mini series. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. I can't wait. Which would probably be perfect to like slot Twin Peaks season two into. Anyway, That's true. I'm, That's true. <laughs> I'm trying to say goodbye, and I'm just out of here. So, for real, good night, everyone. I hope you have a great week. <laughs> yes, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.